1: Welcome to Secure the Insecure, episode 10, the podcast where I say it's okay to not be okay. This is Secure the Insecure, the podcast sponsored by Jennings & Co. Financial Planning, making financial planning easy to understand. For more information, go to www.jenningsfp.co.uk. Now this week's show, is all about X-Factor star Talia Dean, And it was one of the hardest conversations I've had on this podcast. And as you know, this podcast has had some really difficult conversations. But there was one point in the interview where I stopped and i didn't know what to say and i would love to know if if you in my position if you'd been able to fill that silence we say that silence is golden but i physically couldn't get any words out And my heart goes out to her. and it's all about domestic violence and she sadly was a victim of it but now she's a survivor talia started So I want to get straight into it and I want you to hear it. It's an extended podcast this week because I really felt that you need to hear her story and be educated so that it doesn't happen to you. Now, if you're affected by what you hear, please do go and seek help. It's really important to say, actually, I've also been in this position. Let's get straight into it. I started by asking Talia all about how the domestic violence began.
2: That's the question. How does it begin for anyone? It it begins very happy, and it's not something you really see coming your way. And I don't think it's anything you really pick up on. I think people around you notice before you do. It's tough. It's a different story for everybody, everybody's story is different. Um, I was unfortunate that mine was printed all over the press while I was on X Factor, but this is really nice to have the opportunity to tell it for myself.
1: What's really interesting is emotional abuse. So you don't realise that, like you said, everyone else notices it, but you're giving out exceptions. It's okay, he didn't know what he was doing, or Mm. it's okay, he still loves me. What was your situation?
2: I think I just kept making excuses. And for me... I think women who become in this situation, there tends to be a pattern where when you're low, you do find yourself very vulnerable to these situations. And I was in a low point of my life when I met him. And I made a lot of excuses because sometimes being with somebody that's just awful... It's better than being on your own. So you just make so many excuses and and try and think of reasons why you should stay rather than reasons why you should leave. The first signs I noticed were the jealousy of any third party coming into the relationship. So maybe a friend's coming over. And is this male or female? It could be either. I think jealous people are just jealous people. It could be male, female, it doesn't matter. Um, And I, find, I found myself putting my phone on silent because I knew the ringing would upset him. I found myself hiding texts or replying to people a lot later than I would normally reply because me sitting there on my phone would upset him. And I started to change a lot of habits that were just normal habits, but finding that my life started to revolve around him a lot, everything I did, the time I walked through the door, you know, I I would even ask, should I have a bath? You know, you don't have to ask anybody if you can have a bath. But naturally, I just thought it was a question I had to ask. I don't know how it happens. It it just does.
1: So it sounds like very much that all your attention had to be on him. But then if you are going to have a bath and you're in the bath for 30 minutes or so, your attention is not with him. So was he okay? you being in the bath alone? Or would he be like, make sure the door is unlocked, make sure I can come in?
2: No, it wasn't that psychotic. And I think because it wasn't, it was subtle you you I didn't notice, but I couldn't have my phone in the bath with me because then you know I could be contacting the outside world and and then the arguments starts, so I knew what I could do in the bath, what I couldn't, how long to be in there for
1: so very, very, very controlled
2: really controlled, but in a but in a in a way where it was quite charming, where I felt like it was endearing and and cute if there was a door to contact other people like being in the bath with my phone if i'm in there too long am i on my phone you know eating i'm not gonna have a chance to just
1: so it's literally down to the your contact with other people not about you and him so it's not like you can be here here and here or you should do this this and this Mm. it's actually just about you and other people
2: yeah it always had to be me and him it had to be very intense um and there was no breathing space at all whatsoever.
1: Do you think he loved you?
2: Um, That's a difficult question. Yeah, I do, actually.
1: Do you think he always loved you?
2: I don't think he knew what love was. I think he thought he loved me. I think he was filling a massive gap in his life um, that became quite obsessive. But to me, that's not love. Love is freedom and letting someone go and come back when they please and just having that trust. Maybe it was more lust. I I don't know what the word is.
1: Where do you think that stemmed from, for him, that Mm. he needed to obsess over something? Was there something in his childhood that meant that he was susceptible to be obsessive later on when it came to you?
2: Yeah. I mean, he definitely had parent issues. Um, He was thrown into a family that that was there was i mean there were so many children by the end of it i don't i think he just got overlooked and his dad left him at a very young age and he was always a bit of a a lost soul you know the one at school that everyone picked on you know the siblings picked on him he was always just a little bit bullied in a way
1: and so he had to let out that power Because why should I always be bullied? I want to be the bully now. You know, most people who are the bully were bullied themselves because they want to exert their power and he Mm. found you to Mm. do it to. So what happened when it got to the peak? What was the kind of cutoff for you?
2: Um, well, he nearly killed me. It, It happened one evening. He'd attacked me a lot. It started verbal, and then physically it started, but not a massive impact. It would start um, subtle things like throwing a pan or...
1: And when he threw a pan, was it directly at you or no, against it wouldn't, the wall? but
2: something would smash and it would rec- ricochet onto me or... You know, it started like that. Then it's... Then he would... I think he'd smash... Um, he smashed one of my guitars once. So it started with throwing things, breaking things, and it just slowly got closer and closer to me. And... I'm a really brave woman, so let me just put that out there. This doesn't happen to innocent little mousy victims and they're the ones that it happens to. Most of the time, you'd be really surprised it happens to really bold, brassy, brazen women because there's something in them that attracts them. Like, they want to crush.
1: Because if you're almost superior to them they want to make sure they come out on top and they like the challenge and they want to be above you
2: exactly that and i didn't i didn't know how to take this i would never been in that situation before where someone would challenge me in such an aggressive way and i ended up being that mousy scared and didn't want to cause drama so maybe i won't go to that party maybe i won't answer my phone and i just became the shadow of my former self and that can happen to anybody it's
1: very interesting because you see it on tv obviously and you read it in books and you hear stories and you're like well hold a minute why didn't you just leave why Mm, did you carry on what was it that kept you in that abusive relationship when you knew what was right and what was wrong
2: i do you know what in all honesty i didn't think i could do any better i felt so low and i had just come out of a relationship that went pear-shaped And then I started to think, well, maybe this is me, maybe this is my fault, because my last relationship didn't work, so now this isn't working, it must be me. And and he made me feel like that as well, and made me feel like I was either not worthy of a boyfriend or I'd never do any better. So I kept trying to make it work and changing myself, changing myself, changing myself. But it wasn't me that needed to change at all.
1: Was that the worry then, that if you were to speak to another person or you were to meet another person, you would instantly drop him and go to that person because you'd fall in love with anything and anyone.
2: Yeah. Yeah, maybe. Maybe because also I'd, I'd come from a relationship, it had broken down and... So you I knew what
1: with... a broken down relationship is and what a good relationship yeah, is. Yeah, yeah.
2: Yeah. And also, I just wanted to make a point of... um I didn't know this before... But had I have known, there's a law that called Claire's Law, and if you feel like somebody is not quite right or somebody is a little bit controlling or somebody has maybe hit you once in a relationship and said, oh, sorry, it's not like me, I'll never do this one, you can go to a police station and you can give them that person's name and they can tell you every bit of history of domestic violence if they have one. Had I have done that with this particular person... I would have seen that in a previous relationship he had bullied their children. In another relationship, he had broken both of her arms. I would have seen a long history of violence and I would have known that it wasn't me and to get out quick.
1: Should every single person do that then? Because, okay, yes, you might not know how they're going to be, but surely every single person should go to the police station and find out about people now.
2: Not if there's not any reason to. Deep down, I knew... And maybe I was lying to myself, but maybe on my own I would have took myself to a police station and said, look, I am just a bit concerned. Is there any history of that? If I had done that two years before I had nearly been killed, maybe I wouldn't have ended up in that relationship. There was two moments. There was one particular moment where I had been thrown into a shop window, pulled out and then thrown onto the concrete. He had smashed my head against the concrete, smashed my guitar and stood above me, strangling me. This was in the middle of a high street late at night. Luckily, um, there was a camera in the sky, like the eye in the sky and the police were watching the whole thing.
1: By chance?
2: Well, yeah, they had seen us bickering up the street. It was late at night, so they kept their eye on us. And within 12 minutes, so I'm told I was knocked out, I don't remember a thing, they had arrested him and probably saved my life.
1: This is going to sound like a really stupid question, but were you angry at the police that they'd arrested someone that you loved, even though he'd hurt you so badly?
2: Yeah, it's not a stupid question because I remember waking up with him in handcuffs and thinking, oh, my God, Oh, uh, I was, there was part of me that was relieved and thought, yeah, they've got him now. And then the other part that thought, oh God, this is going to hit the fan now.
1: Because now I'm going to be the one to blame. Yeah. It's your fault that you my called the police, fault. even though the police weren't actually yeah. there because of you.
2: And I was so grateful that they shown up because he knew I hadn't, of course, I didn't call the police. So he knew it wasn't my fault. So it was like a knight in shining armour had saved my life and I didn't have to grass him up in a way to do it. Um the thing with domestic violence is once that happens there's no whether you write a statement or not there's no going back the police will pursue if anybody is in a, a, is a victim of domestic violence they can take them to court without your statement and I knew that I didn't have to lift a finger he would be prosecuted and I didn't have to do anything and I still went back after that and uh and then the last time was a lot more serious
1: so when you blacked out and you had the bruises and the physical bruises and he could see what he did to you, was he apologetic? Was no. he like, I'm so sorry, I will never do this again, please just trust me one more time?
2: Uh, no, it was more, I'm so sorry, please can you tell them it was just a little row. I'm, he really didn't want to go to prison, he really didn't want to have a criminal record so
1: nothing about you no
2: nothing at all nothing he he came to me crying and i'd never seen him cry before and i thought oh he's generally really sorry and it it wasn't anything about being sorry for me at all he was sorry for himself and uh yeah it it was actually it actually made me think do you know what i really don't care because you are not even sorry
1: and did your parents not want to take you out that situation straight away and go look i don't care what you say i'm taking you home and you're not doing this anymore.
2: They still don't know to this They're day. They
1: still don't like, know. No. Why don't they know?
2: Um because by time it was all dealt with, I didn't want to then go back and have to explain this is what I've been going through for the last two years. Um and and also There was a lot of rumours, and because I am who I am, you know, I'm in the limelight, I'm very confident, I can be a little bit gobby sometimes. People didn't believe me, and that was really hard. When he got um, convicted, still, nobody believed me. And I I actually watched that footage back, you know, the footage of the camera in the sky, and, and I had to remind myself, no, no, I saw the footage, that happened. And so i didn't want to drag it all up again and then have to make somebody else believe me and i know my parents would have believed me but i just wanted to forget about it and move on justice was was served my friends knew and sometimes i think your friends are better with you in them situations because it's private
1: but well, also it's very objective isn't it they're taking the opinion but they're not going to actually get involved in it mm. they're just there for you whereas your parents are actively wanting to make sure you know you're safe mm. um so that was the first time and then you said that was the second time. Yeah. What was that?
2: Um yeah, the second time. Well, the last time was much worse. He um yeah, he strangled me for a really long time. Like a, a really long time. I I honestly, you know when they say that you can feel the life leaving you, I really did. I just I give up. I gave up completely and this always makes me laugh just I, I I go to cry and then I remember this bit and start laughing uh, somebody threw it was in a car and he had pulled the car over on a road on a road we were we were bickering and he'd pulled I was driving he'd pulled the steering wheel so hard we ended up on the pavement but safely I would pulled the handbrake up and then he just started to strangle me um, he strangled me so hard that the seat completely fell backwards and I was pretty much in the back of the car and I could just feel the life leaving me completely and then somebody started throwing eggs at the car and I still to this day have no idea who it was but I cannot thank that person enough because they saved my life, it was just literally like a splatter of egg on just the Just to, to get to his
1: get attention him, Yeah,
2: to, to, to completely d- throw him off and he did. He jumped up, jumped out the car, was looking around. And as he jumped out, I pulled the door shut and locked it. And then I just blacked out. I, I honestly, I had such bruises around my neck, and my eyes were red where the blood vessels had. I honestly thought I would. I was gonna. I was so close to death, and I don't remember anything. I just remember an ambulance, and I never saw that person who threw the eggs. We'd pulled up outside a house, so it definitely come from one of the houses. He had gone, left me, left me for dead. And I never saw him again. I never went to court. But he got done that time, big time. Yeah. And they believed me. You don't know what to say, do you?
1: (laughs) There's times on the podcast where you don't need to say anything. There's a feeling, you know, we're looking at each other right now. Mm. There's an understanding What do you want to say? Because I don't have anything I don't I don't know what to say to you now. I don't know whether to ask you another question to comment on it to, to leave some breathing space I, I don't know how to go forward What What are you thinking at the moment?
2: I, I hate talking about it to be honest and this, this for me is really uncomfortable but if somebody can listen to this and who is in my position now that's what makes it worth it and if I can tell you anything it's just this nobody has the right to put their hands on you nobody has the right to make you make different choices in life that you don't want to make like not answering your phone or replying to your mother or replying to your friends or answering the front door um cancelling nights out because it's going to upset your partner nobody has the right to make you feel like that and if you are feeling like that, then you're in the wrong relationship and I promise you, it gets worse. Go to a station, If anybody lays their hands on you, ask about Clare's Law and ask a police officer, does this person have a history of domestic violence? And if they come back with yes, it's really difficult to still leave then. I know you're not going to go, right, that's it, it's over. But at least you know, and I promise you, the cogs will turn and you might not leave that day, you might not leave that week, but you will leave.
1: If you could have changed anything about your journey, what would it have been?
2: Oh, I would have left the first time. I would have left when the pan was thrown and, and the wall chippings hit me in the face. I would have left then. That was the f- And that was the... It's the weird feeling because the first time was the strongest time I went, oh, that's a bit weird. And then that, that's a bit weird, got less and less and less. And then it just became life.
1: It became normalised. Um, yeah. But... To normalise it for yourself, you've become a singer, songwriter. Obviously, we saw you on The X Factor a couple yeah. of years ago. And you've used that as your almost catharsis where you can actually put words to paper and sing it out. And, we mm. you know, the most successful people, the Adele's of the world, have had to go through the hard times to be mm. able to release music like that. Mm. What's it like for you to put those those feelings you've got into your songs? Yeah, I
2: don't find it as easy as Adele we actually wrote a song called LYTD you can find it on SoundCloud
1: what does that stand for
2: love you to death (laughs) and I can't sing that song anymore and that was the song I wrote about that experience
1: but did it help to be able to make that into a song as your way because even if you don't release it to anyone Mm. and it's private at least it's out there because the worst thing to do is to keep thoughts that you have bottled up Mm.
2: yeah it it was like writing a diary
1: yeah
2: Uh, me writing songs is like writing a diary and it's very therapeutic and I can get my thoughts out of my head and at the time what I was going through I couldn't tell anybody but I put it into a song and obviously my band mates knew what it was about but we just went with it anyway but to hear it back and sing it back it's really painful I, I tend not to so I do, I have to take my hat off to people like Adele and Lady Gaga who write about these painful things and have to perform them every night. It's not easy.
1: Because you end up normalising, you become so desensitised, you actually forget, actually, hold a minute, that was me. Yeah, I that. Was that was me once yeah. upon a time. How were you able to trust another human being again?
2: This is the tricky part because I was still very low and the chances of me meeting somebody else like that were very, very high. So I had to be really careful, and and if I could go back in time, I probably would build myself up. But I, I again, fell into a relationship really, really quickly, and luckily he was a lovely guy, and it wasn't all bad, but it could have been very different, because I was still in that gutter. I was still low, vulnerable, easy target, but it, it wasn't, luckily. But I think you should stay single for a bit if you're in that position.
1: I I don't know what to say Talia I can't thank you enough for coming to talk to me Johnny Seifert here at Secure the Insecure you've you know it's so brave to come on a podcast anywhere and talk about anything but to come out with such details and I can see it in your eyes the whole way we're talking and uh, uh, it, it's, it's it's being a listener and not asking too many questions and not trying to go oh me 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 as uh-huh. well it's kind of just going well look this is your story But as you said, if you can help one person, that's the most important thing. That's what I wanted to do on this podcast. Mm. I wanted to just make sure that we can actually help other people. But we don't always think about other people. We think about ourselves. And this is my thing, my thing. But actually, what if it is happening to another person? Mm. Talia Dean, thank you so much. And that was Talia Dean. You know, as... uh, As you heard, she is a true survivor, and my heart really does go out to her. Thank you for listening. I really appreciate it. Now, I really need your help. Please share this podcast. Please retweet the podcast. Please leave a comment for the podcast. And please tell a friend. It's so important to say it's okay to not be okay. And it's so important to be educated so it doesn't happen to you again. Love Island was recently just on, and one of the main themes was all about emotional abuse and the way that people treat other people. And you don't even notice it. And thank God we've got a program like Love Island that has got positives that you actually go, hold on a minute, I don't like what that, what's just happened there. I'm not going to do that. This has been Secure the Insecure, sponsored by Jennings & Co. Financial Planning, making financial planning easy to understand. For more information, go to www.jenningsfp.co.uk. Until next time, I've been Johnny Seaford. Thank you and goodbye.